Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. It's a action adventure sci-fi film tonight. So, you know, grab your wits and uh, be prepared for some spills, thrills, and chills. But uh, be sure to grab your seats because the show is about to begin. It's still, well, we just left January. Do you feel that, Toppy? Um, well, I know you can see my picture. <laughs> and I just want to say it's hella cold in here. Hella cold. Oh, well, you know, and, and, until we got you excited for the show, I could see your breath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so certainly it's the same old song and dance of the weather. And, you know, we've got to have weather it's cold or whether it's hot. We've got to have weather, whether or not. But it's uh, feeling like winter's gotten here. It's a little late to the party. So we know every late house guest stays a little longer than you want. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to get some, um, you know, some uh, distraction from that because we're going to be heading southward in just a week and seeing how folks who live just above the Mason-Dixon line uh, enjoy things. We're going to go down there to Farpoint to our sci-fi adventure convention. Are you excited? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, got the uh, that good-looking doctor from Discovery is going to be there. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we got uh, one of the voices from the animated Star Trek Prodigy is going to be there. The um, well, she, her character looks sort of like a rock monster, but uh, she's she wants to be the science officer. And uh, there's some uh, other voice talent too. Uh, please forgive me for not knowing the names, but. Uh, um, some of the folks that do like Rocco's Modern Life are there. So just a whole bunch of folks. And uh, I'm just going to get out of Dodge for a few days. Oh, and Aunt Tudor says that we can probably expect temperatures in the upper 50s when we're in town. Oh, I'll have to get out the, the, uh, the copper tone. <laughs> Well, so speaking of copper tone babies, Toppy, I hear our senior showgirl went and got herself one of those uh, those uh, treatments of the fake bake. Did you hear about that? Wait, what do you mean treatments of the what? We well, um, as as a kid, uh, you know, we used to talk about people who would go to have the spray tans done, oh, yeah. and we would call that the fake bake. Oh, okay, fake bake. Yeah, so Gertie went with some of her girlfriends, and oh, um, I heard that. Yeah, and Gertie, uh, come on in here. Let's see what you look like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hey. Wow, you wow. got some rhinestones and some tassels. You look like you're ready for outer space, ma'am. Thank you. <laughs> I am. Uh. I should have been in this movie. <laughs> not as one of the uh, reptile aliens either <laughs> no. oh i'm sure that you could have been one of the wizened mothers of the the spoiled brats yeah yeah 
Oh, well, (laughs) you want me to introduce this thing? Yes, ma'am. If you could get down there and, uh, you know, mind the paper umbrellas. Okay. All right. I'll be right there. Okay, folks. There she goes. Uh, we are all in our places. We'll get this underway. Jupiter is a young woman in the big city. No stranger to an honest day's work. She and her mom keep the family afloat, going from one cleaning job to the next. One day, Jupiter decides to go along with her cousin's latest scheme to get ahead. And suddenly, she learns why her late father loved to stare at the stars. Before she knows it, she stumbles upon an intergalactic underground, bent on treating humankind so much as cattle. Grab your rocker boots! And a handsome bodyguard. We're headed for space. It's time for Jupiter Ascending with Mila Kunis and Channing Tatum. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. You got a, your mood ring on there, DJ? Oh, yes. You know, I am dressed as one of the um, neglected children of the House of Abrasics from tonight's movie. Wow. Uh, and uh, darn it, if K-Jewelers didn't have my size... Um, someone will be fired. I will have a Karen moment later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dressed as a a desert dweller. How about that? Oh. Was there a desert? Well, there must be a desert in this universe. I mean, this is all about servitude, and there's got to be someone suffering. (laughs) By the way, I just want to say, this is the first movie ever in my entire life that stars a turlet cleaner. Oh, myself. <laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, it's always nice when you can see yourself in a. That's right. <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> How about that? And she did turn out to be a hero of sorts. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, you know, we're we're talking about a. Uh, uh, basically a space soap opera kind of because a few years back when we went to far point we discussed uh, a similarly themed movie in that it was about uh, a space adventure and there's actually a scene in this movie that uh, feels rather inspired by that movie um Flash Gordon, and, and we'll get to that in a moment but uh, certainly lots of dramatic scenes and lots of Gorgeous costumes, and it's just uh, an opera star's dream to be in this movie, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Did we manage to get a a suitable trailer to play? Uh, We sure did. Let's cue that up, folks. This is what you would have seen in the theaters um, in perhaps the spring of 2015. This film was released in the summer. It was a July release. Here we go. (laughs) 
You're the perfect hunting machine. Fearless. Relentless. You've been searching for one thing your whole life. And she's down there. Make sure this is the right one. It's her. Good. Kill her. Who are you? I'm here to help you. It can be difficult for people from underdeveloped worlds to hear that their planet is not the only inhabited planet. Your Majesty, Kane was the best soldier I ever went into battle with. If she's what you say she is, we're not getting off this planet without a fight. Your Earth is a very small part of a very large industry. you at somewhat of a disadvantage. Is that because you kidnapped me? Some lives will always matter more than others. Jupiter! If I had seen that when it was uh, being released in theaters, I would have been lining up for my ticket because this is the kind of movie that makes me want to see a movie. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, as we'll find out shortly, um, people saw it, but not in droves because, like usual, we've picked a box office flop. <laughs> oh well. Well, I do. I do hear that there is a, a cult following, though. But you know, I like to think that's just because we've talked about it, right? Well, why not? Uh, but I think you're right. I think uh, I think it's garnered more of an audience uh in recent years but why don't we set the stage dj uh this movie came out in 2015 so Mm -hmm. what was going on in u.s history back then the u.s history in 2015 california banned revenge porn so uh you you can never you could no longer take pictures of you in the act with someone else and send a t-rex no no Louisiana lowered their voting age to 16. Well, I I guess if you could get married in that state, you should be able to vote. Grown. Nevada schools uh, can now, as of 2015, deny driver's license to students who skip classes. That's that's hitting them where it counts. Yeah, Illinois, the land of Lincoln, required e-cigarettes, no, they're otherwise known as vaping, to be sold behind the counter as of 2015. Several states in 2015 raised their minimum wages, including Arkansas, uh, oddly enough, uh, Connecticut, Florida, Ohio, Maryland, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. So they are all scattered around there. Okay. Uh, American Electronics Retail Store franchise Radio Shack. They filed Chapter 11. And after 11 consecutive quarterly losses. And to this day, radio files and audio files, podcasters alike, 
still wish that Radio Shack was still around the corner, but oh well. Don't let the uh, internet fool you because you can go to basically um, any store name that's gone out of business has a web page and it's just somebody hoping to cash in on recognition. Ah. So a Moscow-based security software company, the Kaspersky Lab, discovered the NSA, so the National Security, uh, so uh, I forget what the NSA actual full name is, ability to hide spying software and hard drives made by several top manufacturers in the computers of users from 30 different countries. So they became very popular that year for noticing this. The Obama administration removed Cuba from the state sponsors of terrorism list. So we weren't as afraid of them as at that time. David Letterman broadcast the last episode of his 22-year run as the host of The Late Show on uh, the, the Big Brother folks eyeball CBS and drew a record audience. Yeah, I was there that night. I watched it. And after 54 years, so more than a half century, the U.S. reopened its embassy in Havana, Cuba. And Cuba also reopened their embassy in Washington, D.C. But but nothing's happening. We we still can't go there, right? No, you can if you go to Canada. Oh, that's right. The the airlines just aren't... after a half century of Cold War, the airlines just aren't convinced that Americans will spend the money. So if you uh, hop up north, you can take an excursion. Gotcha. So at the 67th Primetime Emmy Awards, Viola Davis became the first African-American woman to win uh, the Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. Ooh, what was that? Do we know? Good question. Chat room. Find out Viola Davis. That name rings a bell. She's been in many things. NASA scientists report that human-made carbon dioxide, CO2, continues to increase above levels not seen in hundreds of thousands of years. Because, you know, humans have been writing things down for that long. Um, Currently, about half of the carbon dioxide released from the burning of fossil fuels remains in the atmosphere and is not absorbed by vegetation and the oceans. So uh, get yourself an electric car when you can. So Toppy, it's uh, 2015 that this movie came out. And, uh, you know, we've got some little ones who who are probably uh, aspiring to be on the screen. But uh, until their um, paychecks have bought mommy and daddy a house, who did we lose in 2015 that made an impression on the world? Okay, well, um, we had a, a popular governor here in New York, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, or was that his son? Anyways, the elder Cuomo mm-hmm. died at 83 that year. Mario. Mario, that's right. Yes, thank you. Uh, uh uh, you know, you either liked him or you didn't. And I'm, I'm not sure how corrupt he was. I, everybody in New York, uh, they're, they're all corrupt. I'm sorry. They are. Anyway, uh, Samuel Goldwood Jr., uh, film producer, died at 88. Our beloved Leonard Nimoy, he's that actor, director, and let us not forget... Photographer died at 83. Harv Bennett, film and TV producer, at 84. Jane Meadows, sister, 
of Audrey Meadows died at 95. Which one of them was on the Honeymooners? I believe it was Audrey. I think you're right. Grace Lee Whitney died at 85. Roddy Piper. Well, he was a wrestler, you see. He died at age 61. Oh, my goodness. Dean Jones. From my favorite movie, The Cat from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. No, was he in that? Was he in that? I think he was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dean Jones. He died at 84. Uh, Yogi Berra, the athlete. It says athlete here, mm-hmm. but I'm just going to call him a baseball player because mm-hmm. I don't know if he was really an athlete. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Anyways, the old, uh, the great baseball player, Yogi Bear, died at 90. Uh, one of the writing giants. What, what did, uh, what did um, Spock call them uh, in um, Voyage Home when they mentioned um, Jackie Collins? Uh, did he call them? Did he call the them? Giants. Okay, the Giants, yep. Yeah. Jackie Collins, uh, she was an author. Uh, died at 77 and the ever beautiful to her last day actress Maureen O'Hara died at 95 mm, no you- oh no I no Tommy Hatchburn oh my god that is a fucking duh Ken Berry not Dean Jones oh you know I I conflate those two a lot yeah, Ken Barry was in Cat from Outer Space, my oh. favorite movie ever. <laughs> yes, uh, Sandy Duncan's last film before she uh, actually had a terrible illness that caused her, practically caused the sight in her eye. I'm not sure if it did, but uh, that's uh, what actually caused the problem with her one eye. Well, you know, I mean, she, well, I don't know. <laughs> So you missed a, a, a tiny breadcrumb there, Toppy. Now what? I, 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 I usually try to work in some sci-fi, and tonight we've got a double dose because this actually is a sci-fi. Um, you know who Grace Lee Whitney was? Mm, no. Captain, could I get you to sign this, please? Uh, one of the... Uh, uh, officers uh, on the first Enterprise? Yes, she was Yeoman Janice Yeoman. Rand. Oh. And in later years, she got to uh, get a promotion because uh, before the original cast was done making movies, Janice Rand was the first officer on the Excelsior. Yeah, I, are you saying she died in 2015? Is that she why? did. She died. Okay. Uh, yeah, she died at the age of 85 in in 2015. There is a brief, brief moment in let's see, Star Trek Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, when no, uh, mm, well. She has a, a very brief cameo in one of them. I can't remember, but the Enterprise is, has returned to Earth. Mm-hmm. It, it must be three. It is three. And it's all beat up yep. after that battle with, with Khan. And there's there's Janice Rand uh, observing it. And she, she has a, a wistful expression like, oh, boy, 
what has the what has what has that Kirk done to the Enterprise now? And uh, I, I remember seeing that in the theater and going, "Yeah, oh!" I was like, "What?" It's Janice Moran. Yeah, it, it was such a brief moment. It was almost, she was almost unrecognizable because I think in that appearance, she was actually a redhead, which um, Yeoman Rand was never a redhead. She was always a blonde before. Yeah, I don't know, but I I don't think I had, had any trouble um, recognizing her. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So Jupiter ascended. Sending came in. We we already said it was a flop, but what what was going on in the box office? Alrighty. So in 2015, Jupiter ascending. Now I I misspoke as I sometimes do. This was actually released uh, it just in the the end of winter that year. It was released in February, just before Valentine's Day. And actually, if I look over here on my little sheet of trivia. Uh, let's see, on the date for the wide release of the movie, Jupiter, the planet, or gas giant, was at its opposition, which means it was at its closest point to Earth, and the sun fully illuminated the planet's face. So the Wachowskis could not have planned for a better release date. Anyways, Hmm. Jupiter Ascending was released on February 5th, and it reached number 61. Wait wait a minute. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to ask, how did you find that out, DJ? Um, in that little place called Trivia. On... Okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, Jupiter Ascending brought in $47 million now. I mean, if I had $47 million, I'd probably be doing the happy dance and not having many cares, but it only came in number 61 that year. Right. And we should say 47 is, is just the U S mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it, 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 it barely ended up making, well, actually it didn't, they spent more on the movie than they made. Yeah. One of few Wachowski movies that were like that. Cause I'm pretty sure the matrix performed higher than that. Oh, uh, way, way. Matrix was a bona fide hit. Mm-hmm. So at the uh, top of the box office in 2015, uh, what was, uh, you know, right up there on everybody's tips of their tongues at 652 million Jurassic World came out in 2015. Now, this was the fourth film in the series, but it was the first in over a decade since the last one. And it uh, brought us Mr. Chris Pratt, uh, say what you will. Number two that year, bringing in 651 million, 651 million. It brought us back Harrison Ford. And it was the Star Wars The Force Awakens. Now, this was the second set of the uh, trilogies. So this was actually one, two, three. This is actually film seven in the series, but the fourth sequel, as it were. uh, This is after Disney acquired it. Exactly, and more importantly. And it introduced us to the likes of Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and Adam Driver, who were at the beginnings of their acting careers at this time. You know, it's hard to believe Jurassic World made more money than The Force Awakens, mm. but it did. Not much more. Mm-mm. I mean, it bar- it just made a million more. 
Right. They, 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 the, people might have had more popcorn. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, they would. <laughs> anyway. Number three in the lineup for that year was the Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, this was the sec- only the second film in the four-part series. It came in with a $459 million. And, of course, it has uh, Mr. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, and a lot of them. Uh, it was a sequel to the 2012 film. Now, uh, putting things into perspective, around the neighborhood of Jupiter Ascending's performance, one better than Jupiter Ascending was uh, just a, a rung above, brought in $47.4 million, starred Sam Rockwell, who um, some of you may not uh, recall, but he was uh, the uh, unnamed sort of extra in the Galaxy Quest movie with Tim Allen. That was Sim- Sam Rockwell. Uh, and uh, this was Poltergeist, the, the uh, more modern remake, of course, from 2015. And that was directed... I, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm missing one here. Okay, well, anyways, that was directed by the author of the Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm... Uh, mi- that's, uh, his name is Gil, Gil Keenan. Mm-hmm. So, Toppy, there is a whole bunch of people who came together to make this film. However, uh, we are at about the halfway mark in this evening's show, so we're going to step on over here, and uh, we are going to regale you for eh, three-ish minutes uh, in an interview with Neela Kunis, the star of Jupiter Ascending. So, Mila, what appealed to you about the idea of working with Wachowskis on Jupiter Ascending? I'm a huge sci-fi nerd. And so for me to do a sci-fi film was going to be kind of nerve-wracking because I'm such a fan of the genre. So if I was going to ever do it, uh, I guess you go with the royalty of, of sci-fi. Why not go with the Wachowskis? And mind you, I didn't think that I was going to get the job. Like, I just kind of went and read the script and was like, yeah, I love it. Partially because I was, was nosy and wanted to know what the script was. Um, and then when I got the job, that was just like icing on the cake. Your character is key in this in this universe. I love the duality she has from that kind uh-huh. of very normal, not exciting life to being pulled into like the most exciting thing ever. What can you say about Jupiter Jones? I think she's like the extreme version of reality. I mean, the truth is when you're in your teens and 20s, you're trying to find your purpose and you think that you're meaningless. Like you don't really know the purpose of life or why you're here and you try to find yourself. And, uh, and then ultimately you come to your own and figure out what it is about life that, that, you, that you want. In her world is the um, exaggerated version where ultimately she doesn't know her purpose, she doesn't know her worth, she kind of feels like she doesn't really know her place on this planet, and then ultimately finds out that her purpose is much greater than her own and comes to it and empowerment and, and takes it and embraces it. So it's kind of just like the extreme version of, I think, what everybody can relate to. That must be a fun character to play. Yeah, it's always fun to play anybody that has a transition. And this transition starts when she meets Kane. How does he change her world? I mean, you know, she meets a, a very good-looking Channing Tatum with the little pointy ears. Anyways, when she meets Channing's character, I think she's just so enamored by the idea of life and actually feeling alive for the first time in her um, 20-some-odd years that um, she's, she's open-minded and embraces it and kind of goes along for the ride and doesn't really know what to expect and, you know, goes along for a ride with a very good-looking Channing Tatum, which doesn't hurt. And you guys have great chemistry. How was it to work with him? I love Channing. I loved everybody in this film. Uh, from Douglas to Eddie to Channing, I think 
um, everybody was was so wonderful and so great. And, and then you're, you're working with the Wachowskis. Um, mm -hmm. How do they function? Because it's they write everything, direct everything, produce yeah. everything together. How does that work? They work as one brain. And you, you'll never see them separate. Like on a set, if there's multiple units going on, they they travel from unit to unit as a whole. They are one cohesive brain just spliced into two parts. You mentioned Eddie, he plays the villain, and I thought he yeah. also delivered a great performance. He's great, and he's, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he's such a sweet, brilliant human being that deserves all the success in the world and is, a, is above and beyond a, a, just a good person, which I think is so much more meaningful than just being good at your craft. But he's great at his craft, and he's a good human being, so he just, he's, he's awesome. And what can you say about Sean? I love Sean. Sean's fun. He's a very fun actor to work with, and... You know, I was a huge fan of Game of Thrones, so for me, that was just really exciting. In the Jupiter that we see in the not-so-exciting world, we also see you use your um, speak in Russian. How was yeah, that for you? Yeah, a little you? bit. This is the second time that's happened. The first time I spoke Russian was in Max Payne. And uh, it's a little, oddly enough, nerve-wracking, because the only time I ever speak in Russian is to my parents or my grandparents. And so all of a sudden, um, I got to say like a word or two. It's not like I had a whole you know, speech in Russian. But I was like, this is funny, goofy. Like, it's, my parents are going to laugh. And sure enough, they giggled. Also, I love that your character is not like the damsel in distress. Like, she takes, she takes action. Yeah, she's very confused in the beginning as to what's happening and doesn't really quite know what to make of it, but, but never um, cowers away from situations. And I think that that was actually very important to the Wachowskis to create a female character who wasn't a damsel, who doesn't need to be saved. And you're involved in a lot of action. How were those scenes to shoot? Yeah, that was much harder than originally anticipated. Uh, I, you know, I, I've never, I've said this, but I've never been in, in better shape than I was for this movie. Just because you work out in the morning, you work out before work, you work out during work, in order to just to have the, the um, to be able to sustain the activity that, that it requires of being 17 hours on a wire every day. And so, uh, it was hard. Okay. And by the way, mm -hmm. it turns out that probably because of the participation of um, Mila Kunis, or is it Mila? It is Mila. Mila. Okay. Uh, this movie did great in Russia. In fact, it made more money in Russia, I think, than, than anywhere. Hmm. So Toppy, uh, as we were saying, there's a, a bunch of talent that comes together to make a film. And since we've been a venue of uh, all, a lot of different things in the past, including Magic X, we like to think of the director as the magician of the film. Tell us a little bit about the magic, the people who did the magic to make Jupiter Ascending, the directors. Well, this is a real interesting uh um, situation here. This movie had two directors, and they worked in tandem together. And it just happens to be that they're siblings. Mm -hmm. And it's Lana Wachowski and Lily Wachowski. They're kind of known as, well, the Wachowskis mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, in the industry. You know, they say, oh, the Wachowskis are doing this. The Wachowskis are doing that. And they mean Lana and Lily. And uh, they were born um, way back in 67 and, um, and 65. Lana was born in 65. Lily was born in 67. Uh, they are American film and television directors, writers, and producers. And 
But one of the things I love about them the most is that as they grew up, they loved, 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 and cherished and read comic books. Oh. So that, you know, they were into it. They were so into it. And they loved comic books. And uh, one of their first jobs uh, before they ever got into movies was writing comic books. And uh, they, they dipped their toe in. And it was for Marvel, and they wrote um, some scripts for several issues of something called Ectoid that Marvel did. Uh, it was an it was an adult oriented comic book, and it was something that was created by Clive Barker that somehow Marvel licensed. And they also wrote for another Clive Barker series from Marvel, um, uh, and that was uh, Hellraiser. And another one was called Nightbreed. And um, they spent some time writing for that. It was all credited to Lana, but both of them, um, both of them wrote it. So. Um, uh, they uh, grew up um, and were interested. I think they had an interest in filmmaking and uh, movies as well as comic books. And so uh, they were kind of uh, destined to, to go into movies in writing, but they ended up doing much more than that. And they ended up directing. So we're talking about the mid-1990s. And they made their directing debut with 96's, a movie called Bound. But it was their second movie, mm-hmm. The Matrix, in 1999, that uh, made them superstars in the world of filmmaking. It was a major box office success. It It was a movie that won four Academy Awards, as well as the Saturn Award for Best Director. And they also wrote and directed its two sequels, The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions. They made those uh, both those movies back-to-back in 20, oh, uh, 2003, uh, which is something that uh, uh, movie makers did uh, upon occasion is they made two movies at the same time to be released uh, separately. Uh, I think Lord of the Rings did a little of that. It's been done in many movies. Superman, the movie, Superman 2, were both made at the same time. Anyways, um, so that was a a successful franchise. And uh, the Wachowskis wrote and produced it after that, uh, V for Vendetta which was a success. And in 2008, they did a movie called Speed Racer, which was a live action adaption of the Japanese anime series. And by God, I haven't seen it, but I loved that cartoon. Mm-hmm. Someday I'm going to watch that damn movie. Uh, their next movie, Cloud Atlas, was released in 2012. And then they did Jupiter Ascending. Um, which is what we're doing tonight. Uh, they got uh, into doing some series on TV. There was a Netflix series, Sense8, 
They co-created that with writer J. Michael Straczynski, another comic book writer. Oh, yeah, who's done some writing for sci-fi as well. Yes. Um, Babylon yes. 5, I do believe. Yep, that's right. Uh, that series debuted in 2015. The second season of Sense8 ended the series in 2018. And actually, that was uh, Lana's first major creative undertaking without Lily. And at this point, they pretty much start working on separate projects. As far as I know, there wasn't any problem, but, you know, they were growing as artists and becoming more independent and working separately on different projects. So Lily wrote and executive produced several episodes of Showtime's Work in Progress. That was 2019. And uh, Lana was filming uh, another in the Matrix series, The Matrix Resurrection in 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are those of us who are aware and know um, and it's not a secret uh, that uh, both Lana and Lily uh, were uh, are, are trans mm -hmm. and think they uh, transitioned sometime after the Matrix, at least the first movie. Right. And, and uh, each went on that journey at different times because I have seen interviews where one was female presenting and the other was not yet. Yeah, that's right. But how interesting, you know, that they transitioned, their siblings. I think it's fascinating and wonderful. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, they, uh, you know, uh, have been uh, Dynamo producers and directors. They've been quite successful. But let's talk about uh, Mila Kunis because she's... She's in almost every single scene in this movie. She plays Jupiter Jones. What do we know about her? Oh, goodness. Talk about coming full circle, because, you know, we started this journey four plus, almost five years ago, and that started with Jane Fonda and Barbarella. And now we have Mila Kunis, the raven-haired beauty who was born in Ukraine and, uh, well, she gets to keep her clothes on, but she has an outer space adventure. <laughs> I am sure Jane Fonda is just a little bit jealous to some degree. Uh, anyways. And that really is interesting when you, when you think of these two films. That, that's real interesting. The differences, you know, it's just a difference in, good Lord, how many years? 60? Or is it 70 freaking years apart? Um, I would say it's at least 40 to 50 because I, I do that. <laughs> I count good. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're still stymied because the toilet cleaner was a hero. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Mila Kunis played Jupiter Jones because she did have a full name. Uh, as I mentioned, she was born in Ukraine. It's not the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. And moved with her family to California when she was only seven. Now, her father was a mechanical engineer and her mother was a physics teacher. So they've got some brains in that family. Kunis began working on television with appearances on shows such as Days of Our Lives in 94 and uh, one appearance as Young Hope in that show. Then on the John Larroquette show, that show in 95 that uh, 
was a spinoff sort of of Night Court, but not really. He uh, got to have his own show because he stayed on the network. And uh, she also had a guest appearance on Baywatch in 98. Now, in uh, 98, she was cast in her most iconic role, of course, as Jackie in That 70s Show, which would introduce her to her future husband, a series that would last eight seasons. Now, Kunis auditioned for the sitcom That 70s Show at the age of 14. Uh, She might have told a fib, but... uh, Though actors had to be at least 18 to get the role, she truthfully claimed she would be 18 on her birthday, but just didn't say which birthday, and it got her the part. Although she's mostly known for playing Jackie Burkhart, which was her character's full name on that 70s show, she has shown the world that she could do so much more. Since 99, she provided the voice of self-conscious daughter, you may not have known this, Meg Griffin on the animated sitcom Family Guy, done by Seth MacFarlane. And uh, her breakthrough film was Forgetting Sarah Marshall in 2008. She played a free-spirited character named Rachel Jensen in that. Now, Mila has since starred or co-starred in the film's Max Payne of the same year. The Book of Eli in 2010. It's also in uh, in 2010 with Natalie Portman, The Black Swan, and I think Winona Ryder as well. Friends with Benefits in 2011, and uh, Ted with um, oh uh, Mark Wahlberg. That's the movie about the teddy bear that could talk to him. Oh yeah. And this is one of my favorites. James Franco was in this movie in 2013. It was a a take on The Wizard of Oz, but because different studios own the rights to the different versions of The Wizard of Oz story, they had to be a little ambiguous. So there was no Wicked Witch <laughs> of the West and that sort of thing. But Oz the Great and Powerful starred Mila Kunis in a character that would basically become the Wicked Witch. And it's quite literally magical to behold. So I definitely would encourage you to see Oz the Great and Powerful with James Franco and Mila Kunis from 2013. Hmm. Now, in 2016, Kunis would appear in the first of the two Bad Moms movies. Now, the first one would star Kristen Bell and, of course, uh, everyone's favorite uh, blonde-haired beauty from Fox's sitcom Married with Children, Christina Applegate, and Jada Pinkett Smith. Don't mention her name. Um, Anyways, uh, and then in 2018, uh, she was in... uh, Okay, mm -hmm. okay, okay. I just got that joke. (laughs) And then in 2018, she was in a film with Saturday Night Live uh, personality Kate McKinnon, who's very famous for doing an impersonation of Hillary Clinton, among many others. A film called The Spy Who Dumped Me. (laughs) And uh, in more recent years, Mila Kunis finally got married to... The guy she fell for on screen in that 70s show, Ashton Kutcher, although Demi Moore was first at bat, and I hear she has a tell-all book, but she uh, she has two children with Ashton nowadays. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about Channing Tatum. Okay. Her, her co-star. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, you know, speaking of Ashton Kutcher and all these young kids, 
I couldn't pick him up out of a lineup. Honestly, God, I have a terrible time with these uh, with the new uh, actors today because I can't picture them in my head. And this movie, uh, uh, Jupiter, um, was ascending. I, I always want to say Jupiter rising. It's Jupiter ascending. Thank you. And it uh, was like the first chance I could see. Okay. Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. In the chat room, we are getting oh. some uh, visual aids. Hi. That must be for magic, Mike. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Um. Mike and his magic. Mike and his magic. <laughs> uh, so, anyways, uh, it was nice to finally put uh, a face on the name Channing Tatum. So, he is an American actor. And producer. He was born in 1980, and he spent most of his teenage years in Florida's in Florida, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, Flor- in the Floridas, attending high school. He had an interest in athletics, uh, football, soccer, track, baseball. Uh, he later went uh, to Glenville State College in West Virginia, and he was on a football scholarship, but he dropped out. I don't know why. But he did drop out, and he went back home and just started working odd jobs. But one of those odd jobs ended up being a nightclub stripper, for reals. Mm-hmm. Well, he was discovered by a model talent scout and was ushered into the fashion industry, and he became a well-known and very busy model. How about that? Mm-hmm. By, ni- by 2005... Uh, Tatum began finding roles in movies, and he made his film debut in 2005 in the drama Coach Carter. But his breath breakthrough role, or you could say break breathtaking, <laughs> was in the 2006 dance film Step Up. But he gained even wider attention for his next movie, the comedy drama Magic Mike. That was 2012, which is a movie kind of based on his months of working as a club stripper. And he also starred in the sequel, Magic Mike uh, XXL. What does that mean? Is that a Roman numeral or extra large? It's, what? <laughs> it's it's a reference to size, but it's a sequel, so they had to change the title. Okay. All right. Uh, that sequel was in 2015. He also produced that movie. And also in 2015, he did Jupiter Ascending. His later projects include Hail Caesar. Logan Lucky, The Lost City, and interestingly enough, don't know anything about it, but he starred in and produced and co-directed a road film called Dog in 2022. That just came out. I don't know nothing about it. Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world in 2022. I have no idea what that's based on. Does he have a Twitter account that everyone follows? <laughs> what makes him influ- influential? Does he do uh, TikToks? What does he do? I don't know. Uh, but 
and there you go. Well, so yeah, I, go I, ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, Channing Tatum has been in the public eye quite a bit over the years for, among other reasons, because of course he's easy on the eyes, but. Uh, Channing Tatum is a very big ally of the LGBTQ plus community because in more than one interview, he has spoken about being openly affection with someone of the same sex in the past. So uh, he's not ashamed to admit that his attraction is not based upon one gender. Okay. Is anything else? I mean, is... Well, because be, 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 you know. because of those interviews, people are constantly questioning, you know, his sexuality when he's just simply been open-minded and has said that he's experimented in the past. And of course, okay. you know, as, as we should uh, mind our own beeswax because someone's happiness is their own. There you go. But uh, <laughs> uh, DJ, this movie had a wonderful supreme villain. Oh yes. So his uh, the character's name was Balaam, mm-hmm. which is just such a great name. <laughs> uh, and who is he played by? Oh goodness! So Balaam of Brassics, because just like uh, you know the Greek gods. We've got to have a, uh, you know, a temple, a, a name for the family, the House of Abrasics. And Balaam is the oldest male. So, of course, he thinks that uh, he should be the one who inherits his mother's uh, estate. So, uh, Eddie Redmayne played Balaam Abrasics. Now, uh, Eddie was born in London, UK. And he attended Eaton House, Colette Court, and Eaton College which placed him in the same year as Prince William. So they might have seen each other in the cafeteria or had some classes together. He went on to read history of art at Trinity College in Cambridge, from where he graduated with, I'm not sure what this means, but two out of one honors in 2003. Uh, I think that the, uh, the grading system might be different abroad. He received a choral scholarship to attend Cambridge, so he must have been a singer. And while at Cambridge, Redmayne was a member of the University Pitt Club. So, you know, it's a rung of accomplishment in his university years. Do we know what a, what the Pitt Club is? I don't, but I, I would imagine it's like the Ivy League schools. Like, um, I want to say Harvard has like the whiff and poofs. So I, <laughs> okay. So I, I think that that's just simply the name of their kind of, um, you know, top-notch performing choir. Gotcha. So Redmayne modeled in 2008, and uh, it was for a rather prominent brand for a young gentleman called Burberry, which we do have in this country. Oh, yeah. And uh, also he modeled with Alex Petlier, and in 2012 with Cara Delvine, and in September of 2012 was in Vanity Fair. He was featured on its annual International Best Dressed List. In- oh, yeah. I, I was on there once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in 2015, he was named number one in GQ's Best Dressed <laughs> British Men. So, you know. I'm sorry, DJ. I'm mm-hmm. laughing because when you pronounce the name of Alex and his last name, it uh-huh. sounded like whiff and poof. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, and v money in the chat room 
is just laughing about it. Uh, so Redmayne made his professional stage debut as Viola in Twelfth Night, which is a Shakespeare play. Uh, for Shakespeare's Globe at the Middle Temple Hall in 2002. So, you know, some of you thespians, theater lovers might know a little more about this stuff. He won the award for Outstanding Newcomer at the 50th Evening Standard Theater Awards in 2004 over there in England for his performance in Edward Albee's The Goat or Who is Sylvia? And the award for Best Newcomer at the Critics Theater Awards in 2005. So before he broke through on the silver screen, he had some accomplishments accomplishments on the stage and uh, let's see here now his his first film role was in murderous intent in 2006 with one of my favorite australian stars tawny collette who was the the uh the lead in muriel's wedding and many other great movies uh, that film was about a forensic psychologist who is tasked with determining whether or not a minor should face murder charges for killing his schoolmate, murderous intent. Mm. Now, Eddie Redmayne would appear in 12 films, 12, one, two, that's a dozen, for over the next five years, including wow. The Other Boleyn Girl, which was a film in 2008 with Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson. In 2010, you would appear in his first film with Sean Bean, who is a action film star who was in Jupiter Ascending. That movie was called Black Death in 2010. And he was in the film version in 2012 of a very popular play, Les Miserables, which starred Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, and Anne Hathaway. So he uh, he had some uh, competition on the screen there. That's right. And it was an adaptation of the musical based on, of course, uh, the uh, the old novel. Mm-hmm. The hell was the writer of that? Les Miserables was written by, damn it. Chat room, let us know. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending was Eddie Redmayne's 16th film. So it, while it was wow. his most recognizable role at the time, he had actually been in more than a dozen films. Wow. And before Jupiter Ascending, he was in a film in 2014 called The Theory of Everything. And this was a look at the relationship between the famous psychist physicist, sorry, Stephen Hawking and his wife. And I've been meaning to catch this film because Stephen Hawking was a legend in his own time. And in the five years that would follow Jupiter Ascending, Redmayne would appear in nine films. So he's kept busy, including, and there may be some groans here because of the author, but the uh, sort of spinoff of the Harry Potter universe, Fantastic Beasts, This was a series of books that the students at Hogwarts were seen to be reading. And the popularity, the curiosity of the popularity, the popularity of the curiosity was such that they just decided, we're going to write that. So Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out in 2016, starring Colin Farrell and the star of the, uh, the network, The Flash Show with Ezra Miller. And the 2018 sequel, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which had Johnny Depp. Uh, Also, uh, more recently, last year, there was um, another film, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which was in that series. Uh, So Eddie Redmayne continued his character. And to date, Eddie Redmayne has 33 acting credits. So not bad for someone who's 
not been acting for much more than a decade in this country. Well, that's a whole lot of movies. And I'll tell you, he, he, play, he played a creepy, villainous, weird character in this movie. And I loved every minute of screen time he was on. Oh, you know, um, he certainly has a level of talent to behold and just to con- the control of his voice, because when he lost his shit in those yeah. fight scenes, yeah. uh, it was like, who is this person who is talking now? It was quite literally like some mortal being was possessed by an otherworldly presence because he he did he just took over and it's like i have had enough i have been pretending to be a human being and now you've gone and pissed me off (laughs) (laughs) yeah um it was a great role fun so this was a huge cast i think the other cast member that we should mention is uh, maria doyle kennedy and she played the mother of the main character Mm mm-hmm uh, and she's also known for her role in BBC's Orphan Black, but uh, lots of other, lots of other actors. Some I've seen, some I've never seen. Anyways, uh, I, I I ended up liking this movie a lot. Yeah, but, but I'll tell you, it was a little hard at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And one reason is. I, I, I just found it so confusing. Uh, there was a lot going on, and I just felt like, wait, what, who, where? And I was bothered by that for a while. And then it eased into the second half where, I don't know, it, somehow it just became easier to follow, you know, um, um, you know, Channing wanted to get to Mila before the wedding ring wrapped around her finger, you know, mm-hmm. and then it became a little simpler for me. But at the beginning I was going, okay, okie doke. Alrighty. I'm confused, but fine, whatever. <laughs> but I'll tell you, by the end, uh, I was thoroughly entertained. And the other thing I have to say is the incredible costumes and incredible art direction and the vision they had who I don't the, the the team of people they had coming up with these sets and the look and the costumes uh, really floored me I, I I I was very impressed oh absolutely and Tavi I would say that easily the wedding scene in this film is one of my favorites and okay maybe not everyone will get this reference but i was com- you know i was comparing this to flash gordon because of the the level of spectac you know spectacularness of the costuming and uh, okay. and the sets but the dress that Mila Kunis wore in the wedding in this yeah. was befitting of an album cover from bjork it really was I don't, I don't, I can't tell you the name of, of, of the person that, that designed these costumes, but, you know, I hope, I hope whoever did it went on to greater recognition because um, I, it was amazing. 
it was amazing. I can't believe it didn't win an award for that. Mm-hmm. You know what I find interesting is, uh, you know, because this does uh, have a fair amount of sci-fi to it, it's not unlike many uh, very popular sci-fi programs in that it takes a ordinary story and just simply sets it in space. Now, uh, hear me out in that, you know, yes, there is a fair amount of action in space, and you might think that this is a story that couldn't possibly happen without space because it's so weird, but at its core, it really is a fight over the will because you've got all of these people who are are, are basically deities because they found the a way to live forever, kind of like... Yeah, um, you and know, creepy, and in a creepy way too, because mm-hmm. the way they live forever is is to uh, drink uh, or eat a, a product that's made by hum- human uh, essence, hum- basically. Humans. Silent green. Oh, well, yeah, one of the best scenes in the movie. Spoiler, folks, is um, when Mila Kunis as Jupiter Jones has been handed this vial this crystal vial and is not explained what it is she's just told that this is the secret to their everlasting youth and she slowly comes to the realization that it's through human sacrifice that this process this product is created and when she realized kind of like somebody being horrified to learn that something that they ate at dinner, which was delicious, was something really vile. Mm-hmm. It slips through her fingers and shatters, and she's suddenly horrified to learn of her family's connection to this legacy. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting, this little world that they've built. Well, it's not a little world. It's a big world. But what are the things they value most? Um, they they meant it's it's a huge piece of uh, of the movie. First of all, they 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 want to live and they want to live long. But what are the other things that this culture at this time values? It's some interesting stuff, but I need some help remembering what it was. Do you know what I'm talking about? What part? Well, just the things, the things, the, the basically the villains uh, enjoyed and wanted. And uh, it, it was, it was uh, things like living forever, but also uh, uh, acquiring control of other worlds mm-hmm. and, and existing uh, as. Well, they they have everything they want versus the people that are toiling for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just thought I I thought all that was interesting, and we have Brenda Brenda Boo actually joining us in the chat room. Hi, Brenda. Great to see you here. It, it was so interesting because, of course, as I was saying, this is really a fight over the will, but at the same time. In order for her to save the day, she has to take her place. She has to go through all the bureaucracy and to prove the fact that she is who she says she is. Even though in the beginning of the film, she didn't know she was royalty. 
You know, she she was the daughter of a toilet cleaner. Hi. <laughs> oh, Brenda. The character the main character of this movie is a toilet cleaner. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh Brenda and I share the same profession. Um <clears throat> Uh, so uh, when did you see this? Did you see this in the theater? I don't know that I saw it in the theater. I realized that from the timing, because uh, I, I I put things into chapters of my life. By the time this film had come out, Hubby and I had met and we had bought this house. But I don't remember going to the theater. I think I was aware of the film when it was new but I probably didn't see it until after it had left theaters. Because I will have you know, uh, as as some of you may be aware, we are technology nerds as well as movie nerds. And in this house, we hold on to anything precious in the entertainment realm. And we have the capability of watching 3D movies. And I don't mean that 50s red and green or red and blue or whatever it is. So Jupiter Ascending, when it came out in 2015, was part of the reboot or relaunch of 3D and home viewing. So we have a copy of this in uh, high-definition Blu-ray 3D. Nice, nice. Now, um, the directors, uh, the Wachowskis, really loved doing multiple-part stories, I think that comes from their love of comic books, mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, features. And uh, this movie was intended really to be the start of a new franchise, but it, it failed so much that it never happened. Where do you think it would have gone? What, uh, uh, oh. where do you think this might, might've gone next? Goodness. Uh, I would hope that there would be at least be one more installment. I mean, um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, certainly, uh, I don't know, you might want to fast forward at this point when you're listening to the podcast version, because we're going to give a little bit of a spoiler or two. But basically, in order to protect the Earth, Jupiter decides to prove her, uh, her you know, take her place to claim her, her, um, her inheritance and basically that and her inheritance is, is the earth, right? Exactly. Uh, since she is one of the members of the house of Abrasics, uh, she basically inherits part of the, the, um, well, I, I don't know what, what other way to say it, but the wealth. And so earth is protected now because that's her world, even though her quote unquote brother had, claim to it it's now hers yeah and uh, so uh, although part of the discussion in the later parts of the movie include that earth is due to be harvested for this uh this product that they create to make everyone young forever um they were going to cull humanity early just so that they could cash in but now that Jupiter has claimed her right, Earth can't be touched. So I have to say that if this story were to have continued and gotten a sequel, it would have involved some sort of a um, 
you know, an incursion. There would have been a crossing of her territory, and she would have developed some sort of a protective force, most likely led by her bodyguard, probably at that point, husband. And, you know, we would have to revisit uh, old neighborhoods. <laughs> but maybe, okay. but maybe she has had... Uh, her own family at that point. So it might not be her fight to, you know, battle to fight anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some other uh, young thing might come up and be the star. But I, I don't think that Tamila is uh, out of the running to be the lead. Uh, but, you know, certainly introduce us to um, the, the, the future ex-Disney star. <laughs> ah. All right. All right. Well, folks, we're going to wrap this up soon because it's it is getting late. But uh, and Gertie's going to miss her bus. Right. Well, <laughs> we can't have that. But um, just a little bit more. Um, one of the things I liked was that at the beginning, our main character, um, uh, Jupiter, is you know totally taking her family for granted. And by the end, because her family was put in jeopardy uh, in the course of the movie, it ends with her having a completely different attitude with her family. And I appreciated that um, because that those kinds of things, you know, can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I got a question. Yes. At the very, very end, DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Channing Tatum suddenly has wings. Mm -hmm. Where did they come from? Why are they there? What? Where were they before? <laughs> and what's up with the wings? Okay. So um, for those of you who maybe haven't seen the film, Channing Tatum's character is sort of a, a, a mercenary. He's for hire. And there's this... A uh, faction called Aegis. Now, I'm not sure if that has a or uh, a root in Greek mythology or not. A E G I S, but they're a protector force, not unlike the Navy SEALs, I guess. And so, through the course of his backstory, um, he betrayed someone, and he was uh, made to pay the price. So he lost wings that he had. He would, he himself is. Oh, the marks on his back. Yeah. So he's an augment and he oh. lost his wings as punishment. So, uh, you know, even though that was brought up because he's the cool, bad, bad boy that Mila Kunis is doing. Now, I'm sorry, but were you creeped out? Did you think it was tacky when there was that scene that he was explaining to Jupiter that he's basically part dog and not worthy of her? And she said to him, I've always loved dogs. It was awkward. That yeah. Was, yeah. I, 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 I was watching that and I went, Hmm. Okay. That was this, right. that was this generation's Luke and Leia kiss, I think. <laughs> Um, okay. But yes, he was he was rewarded for saving Jupiter's life. So his um his badge basically was reinstated and then he got his wings back. But you know, it is a little bit like it's a wonderful life because the angel got its wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um there were also 
um, um, references to um, oh Jesus, ah, the Oz movie, mm-hmm. uh, Wizard of Oz. What, yeah. There were kind of references to R- Wizard of Oz. Like mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. what uh, did you like this? I how, how did you feel about? I it? adored this movie, and. You know, I I, I love. There are so many charming character building moments in this film, especially when you see the beginning, and you realize that she lost her father through an unexpected tragedy, and it's explained that she was named Jupiter after the planet, and it was so cute because the mother was like, "Are you kidding me? We're not going to name our daughter that," and then. You know, uh, her father explained why he wanted to name her that. And it was like, mm-hmm. that's why it's it would be perfect to name her this. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think that the, the best moment in the whole movie is at the end when her family gets her the telescope. Mm, yeah. Because it's, you know, while it's probably not the same one that her father lost – it's just the realization that she knew that that was one of his hobbies, that it reconnected her to something that she lost, you know, before she could appreciate it. So now yeah. she has it, that. It was, it was also that her family recognized that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they, they ain't rich, uh, uh, but they, you know, they all threw in for it. Uh, that was nice. Um, hmm. there's a lot, a lot more to say uh, about this movie. I hope everyone goes and see it. Um, do we know like where people can see this? I don't think it's on streaming anymore because it's, okay. it's been out for, you know, seven plus years. So, um, I will take a quick look here cause I have a way of, uh, seeing where you, someone might rent right. it here. Let's see. Um, I'll say that one of my criticisms, criticisms of the movie is that a lot of the action scenes were, were thought out in a way that I, I felt was lacking in that a lot of times I couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And there's a lot of action scenes in this movie, and there's a lot going on in those action movies. But if you think back to the Wachowskis Matrix, their first movie, there's an, there's an I can't remember a moment in that movie where I could I couldn't understand what was going on. It was all clear, even though there were breathtaking visuals. I understood what was happening in this movie. I think well I don't know. They got a little lazy with the storyboarding or whatever, and there were times where I said, "What just happened? I don't know." <laughs> uh, so that'll be that's my only criticism really is is that it seemed to lack really good storyboard planning yeah see see one scene did not necessarily connect to the next well well not even that but just there were moments when the action happened and you i didn't know what just happened it was confusing so it was more than that it mm-hmm. was visually confusing 
at times. So it appears that uh, if you are interested in viewing Jupiter Ascending, uh, it is not available included on any service, but you can rent it on Amazon, YouTube, Apple TV and uh, Walmart's rental service, which I think is called Voodoo, V-U-D-U. So, yeah. DJ, when you saw it, did you see it in 3D or? Oh, yes. You did. It, it, as we like to say in first class, it's the only way to fly. <laughs> uh, it must have been pretty awesome. We, we've been fortunate in that we recently discovered a gently used 3D TV, which... When it was new a decade ago, probably would have been half a year's car payments. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it, it's like Harry Potter where the pictures come to life on the wall. Okay, okay, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, we should wrap it up. Okay, so Toppy, here we are out almost at the lobby at the door, and we're going to talk about things you might enjoy if you liked Jupiter Ascending. It's our snack tray. So I'll go next here. Um, well, before that, uh-huh. let me just say hi to the people. I'm Absolutely. I'm going to lean over the balcony, take a look down in the theater. Uh, I want to say welcome and thank you to Aunt Tudor, to Crone, to Janet, to Lamont Cranston, to Matt, who does the Chubs Gone Wild and the Big Gay Sex Show. And I want to say thanks to V Money for being here. Uh, it's so great. Um, to have a live audience with us. Thank you all for being here, spending the time with us. Really appreciate it. All righty. So in our snack tray, I'm going to recommend a film for just a handful of years before Jupiter Ascending. This is another movie that uh, didn't do quite as well as they'd hoped. And uh, it is a uh, film made by Disney. And it, uh, let me see you here. The story is a Civil War vet discovers a barren planet seemingly inhabited by 12-foot-tall barbarians, finds himself prisoner of these creatures. He escapes only to encounter a creature named Wula and a princess in desperate need of a savior. This is a film from 2012 called John Carter. Oh, very overlooked. I have not seen it. Uh, Hmm, interesting. And it takes place on a um, an alternate time frame of Mars, so possibly before the Earth ever had a human being walk. Okay. And uh, they call their their world Barsoom in their language. Okay. But John Carter from 2012. Interesting. And it has Willem Dafoe. (laughs) Is he a villain? I don't think so. He's just one of the curmudgeonly colonists. Wait, wait, what what is Matt doing here in the chair? Uh Uh-oh, what kind of calamities? I think he's listing movies that are related. He says Roller Babies? I think I mean think he means solar babies. I don't know. Santa and the Martians. <laughs> oh, things we ah! things we might have done before, and uh, ah, might Tommy. Do. I didn't. I didn't mention Tommy in the hash browns. That's horrible. I'm sorry, Tommy. 
Yay, Tommy, for being here. I don't know how he I... He is going to be kicking the back of your seat Jesus. all the way to Farpoint, Toppy. Oh, my God. Tommy, we love you. <laughs> Tommy is here every damn time we do a live show. Thank you, Tommy. Um, okay, so that was your uh, movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to recommend if you liked Jupiter Rising. No, Jupiter Ascending. If you if you like that, then you're sure as heck gonna like a movie called The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. That was a 1997 science fiction action film. I'm gonna say it's a superior movie, and uh, it stars Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman. And think of how close our villains here: Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending, they're very similar and very creepy, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, it also stars Ian Holm and Chris Tucker, of all people. Anyways, it's a fun movie. <gasps> oh, you miss uh, you miss the lady star, Toppy, the red-haired uh, bad, oh, I'm sorry. Ba- badass lady. Uh, yeah, uh, Mila Jack, say it. Oh, okay. She is the star of the Resident Evil films, Mila Jovovich. Thank you. Otherwise known as I'll kick your ass for not saying my name right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I'm sure a lot of you have seen it and you know what it's about, but it's a fun. Uh, science fiction story that, that uh, well, uh, it's a battle for the defense of Earth, and they've got to collect these mystical stones and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it rem- uh, uh, Jupiter ascending reminded me a lot of the fifth element. So go see that if you liked Jupiter ascending. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, Multipass. Multipass. Yes. Crowd <laughs> wrote that the chat. Multipass. I will say that the fifth element is a favorite, and it's clear that it was highly inspired by the legs of Blade Runner. That's a great. Oh, absolutely. Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another movie I'd, you know, if you liked uh, Jupiter Ascending. Mm hmm. Catch the original Blade Runner. All righty, sir. So <laughs> we got to go. We are. We sure do. So that magician left that pesky bag of coins behind, but it helps us find out what's coming up next. Hand me that bag, sir. There you go. Jingle, jingle. Okay. Putting it in the machine. There you go. Ooh. Oh. Pixie dust and all. All right. Oh. All right, I'm going to read the capsule. Uh, I'm going to read what we're going to do next. And this is a fun little thing, folks. Be here next time for this because it's a little bitty 1979 made-for-television movie. But it's really good. It stars Hal Holbrook, Catherine Ross, Richard Anderson, and Barry Bostwick. (laughs) Yeah, Brent from Rocky Horror Picture Show. He's in it. Anyways, this is a great crime mystery written by the creators of the TV series Columbo. 
And it is a delightful made-for-TV movie. And it's called Murder by Natural Causes. And that's next time on Matinee Minutia. Oh, and that's Friday, February 17th, which is the Friday after... um, what do we call that? Uh, singles Recognition Day or something like that? <laughs> They're fine, yeah. Call it that. <laughs> but it's after we get back from our convention, so we'll have lots to talk about. And those of you who are going to be in the Mid-Atlantic a week from today, we will be excited to see you and hopefully maybe even break bread with you. All right. Sounds good, DJ. All right. Well, sir, now that we're out front here and Gertie's going to catch her bus, could you say goodnight in the ways of the old days of radio? Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net. Click the tower for audio. Enter Discord for chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at matineeminutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.